Good morning, Oceanside. It is amazing to be with you this morning. Man, it's so cold up here. Victoria is balmy. It's amazing. It's seriously, it re- like, you all know. You all know. <clears throat> oh, it's freezing up here. <clears throat> Wes, are you here? Okay. I love you, Wes. Don't believe a word anyone else says. I love you, Wes. <clears throat> Friends, it's so amazing to be with you here this morning. And uh, what is even more amazing is how many I don't even recognize in this room. And obviously, you don't know me. So the cool thing about that is I get a fresh slate this morning. I get to kind of start all over again with you. The rest of you just love me for who I am. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's really is, it's a privilege and it's amazing to be with you here this morning. Thank you for having us. Um, it's not something we take lightly. It is such a joy to be with Oceanside this morning. So Jen and I um, just send our love. Trinity sends love. <clears throat> uh, they've been praying for you, for us this morning, and uh, it's just fun to be here. So we're going to have some fun, and we're going to jump right in this morning. I, uh, I did say to Paul and Katie this morning that I'm going to cause some trouble, um, but I know that you've got opportunity over the weeks ahead to clean that up, so that'll be fine. <clears throat> and Mike, I'm sorry in advance, but we do love you too. I'm going to jump right into uh, to something this morning that I feel like is, is, a, is a word that um, is for every one of us, and it doesn't matter where we're at in our journey or our walk. And <clears throat> I want to start off in, in Hebrews chapter 11. It's an incredible story, a remarkable historical account of, uh, of some amazing men and women, some mighty men and women of faith, courageous, full of fortitude, full of vision, full of a, a deep revelation of God's love for them because they were motivated to incredible things. And I'm not going to spend too much time reading it, but I do want to start off with uh, Hebrews 11.32, and you can follow with me in that. And as we read this, I'm kind of going to the bottom end of it, but, but in those 31 verses of Hebrews 11, there are 23 references of this phrase in the NIV, by faith. By faith, so-and-so achieved this. By faith, so-and-so let the fruit of their lives show in this way. By faith, they gave their lives for a cause. And the thing about this is that every one of them had this one thing in common, that they were absolutely captivated and motivated by the love of God. Everything in front of them, everything they did, everything they pursued, everything they gave their lives for was captivated and motivated by the love that God had for them and their revelation of that. And, and I want to start off with that statement because I want you to end off with that statement this morning. Whatever we do, whatever we give our lives to, whatever we pursue in our lives, let's make sure it's motivated and captivated by the love of God because our lives will never be the same again. And that means we need to get a revelation of the, and, and, and the captivation of the love of God. It's an incredible gift to us. And so Hebrews 11.32 reads as follows. What more shall I say? So after all of these by faith and these amazing examples of these mighty men and women of faith, it says, by f- uh, what more shall we say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. 
and who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice. I think some of us really need to hear that. God's calling us to administer justice in our world. Who gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What motivates someone to the point of submitting to being sawn in half, to being fed to lions, so captivated by the love of God, so singularly focused? And they were commended for what? Their good deeds? Their acts of service? None of that. They were commended for their faith. And Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a good understanding and a definition for what that is in the first place. Hebrews 11.1 1 in the Amplified says this, faith is the assurance, the title deed or the confirmation of things hoped for but divinely guaranteed. The evidence of things not seen, but the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. What a profound statement. The NIV, the one we know more, it says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of things we do not yet see. And when you are so full of hope and so full of certainty, it's got to be motivated by a goal at the end. It's got to be motivated by something other than ourselves. That's the love of God. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Uh Uh-oh. We're getting thrown into this conversation all of a sudden. I don't like all that uncomfortable stuff I just heard and suddenly I'm being included in this. And guess what? You are too. The thing about Hebrews 11 is that it gets followed by Hebrews 12. And uh, there's this very first little word that happens in Hebrews 12 and it's Therefore which means for this very reason or because of what's been done, there's an expectation on you. There's a responsibility now being put on you, on me, because of what's been spoken of. Therefore, you know what? I don't really like Hebrews 12. I think if we can just move on to Hebrews 13, we'll probably be good to do that, won't we? Mm. Hebrews 12, therefore. All right, here it comes. There's a responsibility on you and I now. 
we have to honor God for the fullness of his word. See, it's a little bit like that, that great meal that gets put in front of you. There's, there's a steak and there's some, there's some uh, great wild rice and then there's this pile of green things and vegetables and Brussels sprouts and things. Thanks, Katie, for Brussels sprouts last night. They were great. But, but there's just, we all know we don't really love vegetables. Okay, I might be speaking for myself, but, but they're good for us and we have to eat them. And, and there's some things that we don't find comfortable, but they are good for us. They're essential for life. And on the back end of Hebrews 11, we're kind of going, oh boy, here we go. And here comes Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all of these great, mighty men and women of faith, full of courage, full of fortitude, full of vision, full of conviction, we surrounded by them looking with great anticipation. What are you gonna do with what we've established? What are you gonna do? How are you gonna step on the shoulders of what we've done and what we've pursued? We want you to succeed. There's this cheering on from heaven. <clears throat> Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Can we just move to 13 now? <clears throat> Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You are not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I want to take a bit of time just to unpack this. I want to start off with this first statement. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I want to start off with this statement. Do you know, often and for years, I seem to have remembered that that statement was, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. And what we forgot is the everything that hinders. Because the sin that entangles is kind of the obvious one. But there are two definitive statements there. And here's the reality of it. There's a whole lot of stuff that gets in the way. Because it says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles because it goes on to say that we call to run a race. And so there comes a time where we gotta just get rid of this stuff. Just throw it off. Oh boy, have I lost you here? 
No, good. I don't want to throw that off right now. We need to get rid of some stuff. And there's just some things that really hinders because you know what? It's not so cold here after all. And so we've got to get rid of this stuff. And it's just, it's hindering. It's in the way. And you know what it says? It says, throw it off. Still in the way, it's it's hindering. Throw it off. (laughs) Throw it off. Get it out the way. Oh, it only gets better. (laughs) Ah, it's still in the way. Throw off everything that hinders. Some of these things are good things. Some of these things are really good things in our lives, and, and we don't always see them as hindrances. We see them as, well, it's family, and it's, it's friends, and it's my career, it's my boat, it's my truck, it's my lack of truck. <laughs> but, but the scripture says, throw off everything that hinders. You and I have the responsibility, therefore, since there's, there's this... It's your turn. God said, I have determined that for, for you to live at such a time as this and at such a place as this. It's not, there's no mistake that you and I are alive today. We look at our culture and our, our country and our world and we go, ah, oh, it's a mess. But God didn't choose Abraham to be alive today. He chose Mark. He chose Nathan. He chose Brian. The thing is, is that some of them are really good things, but we've got to throw them off. Other things are bad things. They're really not helpful in our lives, and, and some of them are like wounds we carry. They really are. We've been offended. We've been hurt. And you know what? I'm legitimately carrying those pains of that. I was wronged. And we have a choice to live the rest of our lives with those scars and wounds, or we have a choice to throw off everything that hinders because God is able to heal and to bring closure and to bring fulfillment so that we can throw off everything that hinders. And then you know what happens is there's some things that we need to throw off that hinder that are really uncomfortable in our world. And they are very counterculture. There's some things that, that are going to get you really uncomfortable that you have to do in front of a horde of people. And you're going to get seriously uncomfortable and you're going to go, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. And everyone's going to start looking at me and throw it off. I've been called to run a race. You've been called to run a race. Throw it off. These shoes might look nice, but they are terrible. And they're not coming undone. You see, sometimes throwing things off becomes really tricky. But throw them off. Get rid of them. And then just when you think you got to a place and it's like, okay, oh Lord. And you know what? You're all feeling really uncomfortable right now, but you're not feeling as uncomfortable as I am. 
And friends, forgive me if this feels that it might even be offensive. This is the house of the Lord and God loves us. And I just want to clarify, David danced in his underwear. But I really, for me, you know what? I'm sorry if you're a little uncomfortable this morning, but that's why we get the gift of the Holy Spirit who's our comforter. Because God didn't call us to a comfortable life. And I want to use an example right now, which I'm sorry if it doesn't sit easy with you, and it's uncomfortable, but you know what? We gotta get uncomfortable sometimes, okay? Because I can't run a race with these jeans. They are just nasty, okay? So I just, I gotta get them off. They're hindering. They're hindering. They're in the way. And these are really cool socks. And they might look good, and they might do well for my image, but they are just not practical, okay? Now I've got to run a race, and I'm a lot more prepared than I was. Get this thing on. Thank you, Byron. See, there's some things which actually need to be put on to run the race well like the armor of God and other such things. And, and I just thank God that he lights our path very well for us. And it takes time sometimes and we've got to figure out how it works and we've got to put it on. But to be able to run a race, it's what we need. And if you felt a little uncomfortable, good. <laughs> Don't forget to do your laces up. Don't want to trip while you're running your race. Ah, oh, it's a whole lot better to run a race. We had a situation in our backyard where we had two levels in our in our yard and the kids loved playing in the lower level and the upper level was a great place where we would put a swimming pool had a great little inflatable swimming pool and, and they'd play there. And what happened is over time, we had a, a bunch of blackberries growing behind the fence and in a, a vacant property. And, and those blackberries started coming under the fence. You see, the fence looks like it's good, but those blackberries just get in everywhere and under. And they started pushing through into the, into the garden and, and the people that owned the home before us had a really great, garden and the, and the flowers were amazing. I didn't even know the names and I certainly didn't have the green thumb to keep them up. But, and they were fine on their own, but those blackberries came in and they started throttling those really nice plants. And I was aware of it and frankly, I was like, eh, I'm trying to keep my kids alive. I don't want to keep plants alive. That's just too much for me right now. And then I neglected it. And so the frightful thing is what happened is they continued and they kept growing underground until they started popping up in the grass everywhere else. And before you know it, when I try to put, the, you see, what I did though is I'm like, oh, that's inconvenient, so I'll just quickly snip them off at the top. Just cut them off on the grass so they're not visible anymore until I put the inflatable pool up there and realized that visible doesn't mean they're gone. And, and the thing about it is that Little by little, we just kind of had to abandon that area because it just became nasty. You couldn't walk on it, you couldn't everything. Because of my neglect, I got into a situation that was 
everything entangled. (laughs) And suddenly, here's the thing, is that the inheritance that my kids deserved was now half of what it was. That was their land. That was their space. And because of my neglect, (laughs) they didn't have access to it because the sin that so easily entangles is just like that. And so it's one thing to throw off everything that hinders, but there's an and, the sin that so easily entangles. In fact, the Amplified says the sin that so easily and cleverly entangles. It's a statement that I love. I have to be brave with my life so my kids can be brave with theirs. I have to be brave with my life so you can be brave with yours. I have to run my race with perseverance. I have to have a goal in mind. Carries on, let us run with perseverance. That word perseverance is in there for a good reason because it ain't gonna be easy. The race marked out for us. Here's the thing, is there are multiple lanes and it's not my job to run your race even though your race might look really nice. It's my job to run my race. The beauty about running my race is when I look alongside me, you're there with me and we're running together. But it's your race. Stay in your lane. Don't come in my lane. But run with me. There's a race marked out for every one of us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on a goal, who's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. It says that in the Amplified, it says, let us run our race with perseverance and fix our eyes on Jesus, looking away from all that will distract us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had a goal and he had a race. And what enabled him to to run his race was the goal in mind. He had his eyes fixed on the goal. The Bible says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. The only way that motivates to persevere, the only way that motivates us to get through this because it's a race marked out for us and it's the most incredible possible journey we could ever hope to live on the face of the planet. But there's perseverance. But There's not a lack of hardship. There is a sense of run the race, keep your eyes on the prize, keep your eyes on the goal. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. By implication, there's a good chance you're gonna grow weary and you're gonna lose heart. Consider him. Look at Jesus. Look at what he endured so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He endured such opposition. There's a word that we don't want to hear right now, do we? Because when I started getting a little uncomfortable here and you got a little uncomfortable, that's where opposition rises up. I'm currently spending time with a few people in our city, in our community that are facing up to some really tough challenges in the workplace. And they're actually being held to account for living radically generous kingdom-focused lives because their world cannot have a platform. There's no, there's no place for, there's no grid for them to live radically generous kingdom-focused lives. And so there's gotta be something suspicious behind there. 
And people are facing some serious things because they are radically choosing to live a Christian life and uncomfortably get themselves into their race. Not everyone is going to love the idea of you living a free, joyful, vision-filled life that counts. And when you encounter opposition and when you encounter jealousy, don't be surprised, but face forward and win the prize. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I think there's an incredible thing. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, the Bible records that Jesus sweated blood. And when you look at the, the medical conditions around that, the doctors quote that the most likely cause of that was extreme anguish. Jesus, fully God, yet fully man, was faced with such opposition. Can you imagine what he was dealing with, that he sweated blood? And the point is this, friends, if we have our eyes on the goal and our eyes on that and we're captivated and motivated by the love of Jesus, actually everything falls into comparison with that. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Here's the discipline part. We don't really like this. But here goes a Brussels sprout. It starts off with this statement. A word of encouragement. That word encourage is a powerful word. Encouragement. (laughs) To encourage is to put courage in. God puts courage in us through the process of discipline. Ah, we don't like that. And our, our worldly perspective on this word discipline is nasty. And it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Discipline comes from the word, Mark can work with you on this afterwards, discipulus, which is a Latin word, which means student. And it is also the source of the word disciple. But the word to disciple, it's the verb, to disciple. To discipline is to disciple, which means to train or educate or teach The primary goal of discipleship we know in our faith is to become more like Jesus and discipline's main purpose is encouragement. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Ah, we don't like that word rebuke. First you get a buke, then you get a rebuke. You know the root of that word rebuke is is a stern reproof. We don't really have that word in our language, but that's the root of it. And the word reproof is defined as this. It's a kindly intent to correct a fault with a better future in mind. Oh, that's the rebuke of God. A kindly intent with a preferred future in mind. That's godly discipline. That's godly discipling. Take that word discipline and put discipling in. That's his heart for us. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Chasten is another word. We're like, how many of us even know what that means? But but what it simply means is education or training with nurturing correction and instruction. So whatever way we look at all these different words that the Bible chooses to use, we can't help but keep coming back that it's discipling for the purpose of a better future. That's God's heart for us. Luke 11, 
in the New Living Translation says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Verse seven, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children. I didn't say it would be easy, He said, but it will be good. You know, I'm I'm just captivated by the story of the exodus of the Israelites, the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt and into their promised land. And it's really a story of our own journey. We're in captivity before we accept the salvation of Jesus. The Bible says we're slaves to sin. And then there's this incredible moment of release and the Bible says we become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I'm no longer a slave to sin, I'm a slave to righteousness. Sin has no hold. There is, for the first time in my life, I have the potential to break the pattern of sin in my life, which is why I can get rid of the sin that easily entangles. There's hope. For the first time, I'm no longer a slave to sin. And that's the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and then they come into this journey, and they have to run their race. And the first thing that they're faced with is a big land of water piece of water, not land of water, stretch of water, the Red Sea. They're faced with this and they go, and they, they've just been freed and they get mad with Moses. What, Moses, have you brought us here to die now? That's really what they do. It says it in the Bible. They're really grumpy. We would rather have died in Egypt and got three square meals a day, but you've brought us out into the desert to die. But we know the story. Moses goes and, and, and the, the Red Sea parts immediately the provision of God, the supernatural power of God is released in a moment. This, this rocked my world some time ago. We have two realms, the natural and the supernatural. God has one. It's all natural to him. We gotta get used to living in that way of normal Christian living because there's an expectation that says it's kind of, well, we gotta wait for the super. No, we're living in the favor and the provision and the abundance of God. We're living in that place. We're not waiting for it. And they come and that sea parts and they get to walk across this dry land and they look and they go, wow. They get to walk in the supernatural provision of God. Here's the thing about a dry bed though. There are no doubt rocks, and barnacles and all sorts of things. He didn't say it would be easy, but his provision is there. And they walk across the Red Sea and they get out the other end and guess what? 40 years of desert. Desert. <laughs> but guess what? Every single day they're in the desert, they get this incredible gift from heaven, manna. Your food is here. Pick it up and eat it. And don't worry about tomorrow. Have enough for today and tomorrow will provide. Does that sound familiar? And, and you know what, because God is who he is and manna is more than sufficient, he says, you know what, here's quail as well. That's the abundant provision of God in the midst of all we need. And then they get to the Jordan River and there's this moment of truth before they get to cross into the dry land, into the promised land. And they get to the Jordan River and the Bible records it as a river that was in flood season and it was a mile wide in flood. Who's ever been at the edge of a river that's, raging and flooding. 
whole trees coming down and brown, mucky waters, and it's just nasty. Think on this for a moment. Everyone in that camp, 40 years and younger, has no idea how to swim. They've been in the desert for the last 40 years. And if you've ever seen pictures or if you've been to Israel, I was shocked when I had the privilege of being there once. The the Jordan was like, I could have almost jumped across it. And I'm going, God, why didn't you bring them where they could have just hopped across? And I'm convinced that this is what I felt God say to me. And and I'm convinced that what he said to me in that moment was that I want you to know my provision at the stepping point of one of your greatest challenges in life. And they were about to step into their promised land and possess their promised land, but they needed a moment to remember and be reminded of God's goodness and faithfulness. And that, you know what? They, oh, they go, oh, we've seen this before. And they go and they step in the water and nothing happens. But the Red Sea, what? What? See, it was different this time. God's provision is always there, but it doesn't always look the same. See, what happened in the River Jordan is that the Bible records the story that 20 miles upstream in a little town called Adam, the water stopped flowing. How long does it take for 20 miles of water to keep flowing? Because all that had to pass before they were able to walk across on dry land. Oh, Moses, Joshua, really? I have no doubt. And and you know what? God just takes all of those doubts and, and he has the grace to work with us in the journey and that, that, that riverbed dries up and there's rocks and divots and it's not easy. And, but, but what's anticipated, and the scholars think it was around two, two and a half million people had to cross and they get into their promised land and the first thing that happens is the manna and the quail dry up. That was the provision for that portion of the journey. Now they walk into a land of milk and honey. Now they walk into a land of their provision. And the first thing they face Jericho, mighty, fortified city. You know what? March around the city seven times and put your musicians out front. Lord, we've been training for battle. We're ready. We're ready for God's ways in our journey are the ways we need to acknowledge and know. And they've just had this moment. Uh, they've been prepared uh, and they've been equipped. And they've been reminded of God's faithfulness and they've built an altar of remembrance. God, we've seen your provision. We're encouraged, courage to do the next part of the journey that you have for us. That's the nature of God. Friends, I wanna tell you one more story of, of um, something that, that I experienced with my, one of my sons and I was playing with them and we were building a little Lego set and it was... Uh, it was a real easy one for their age. And I played it, we built the thing and he built it all together and he was kind of happy with it by the end of it and then he wanted to go outside and we went and sat in the driveway and I took another Lego set that was a little harder but beyond his age there. And um, we sat down and now in his memory he's gone, oh, I've done this before, I got it figured. But I put this thing in front of him and I sat back and I just let him play and explore. And it didn't take long for him to go, well, well, this is stupid. We don't behave this way, hey? This is just, this is what kids do. This is stupid. This doesn't fit, this doesn't work. I can't, I can't do this. What, dad, you do it. 
And you know, as a loving father, the best thing I can do for him in that moment is to keep quiet. Who of you have experienced the quietness of heaven? (laughs) And so, inside of me though, I'm wrestling. I just want to rescue my boy. But I know that's not the best thing for him now. I know that he, A, I know he can do it better than he knows it himself. We need to hear that, some of us today. And so what happens is he starts to build it. And you know what? That little accomplishment with the easy Lego set earlier was nothing like the accomplishment of that set. And he got it. And he did it. And you know what he said? Dad, look what I did. Every now and again, I gave him a little something, a little pointer, a little this, a little that. And sometimes along the journey, let's remember who our father is. And so... So he does this and he accomplishes it and I'm so proud of him and that's the Father in heaven. He is proud of us when we accomplish the things that he's put in front of us sometimes. And then all of a sudden he's bored, he's moving on and he jumps to his feet and he starts booting it for the road. My father's sight sees this, a car coming up at the same time. And in a split second, with no thought whatsoever, I reach out, I grab his arm, and I yank him back. And I literally bruised his arm in the process. And he looks at me, and he's mad. What did you do that for? That hurt. I want to tell mom. (laughs) Son, there was was a car coming, and it was going to whack you over, and he turns around by then, long gone. What car? There's no car. Sometimes the discipline of God looks like something that's just so unfair. I'm gonna tell mom. But, but you know what? The truth of it is this. God sees, God knows. That breakdown that happens on the side of the road, that thing that you think sets you back so far, that thing that you think is so unfair. What is God seeing in the journey that we don't? So when we run our race and when you run your race, we need to have the faith and the courage and the patience and the fortitude and the, and the goal and the prize set before us to know that God has a purpose and he has a plan and he loves us. He's captivated by us. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the Bible says. Fix our eyes on Jesus. I'll wrap up with these two points. We have to know our why. We have to know and have a goal and a vision for our life. And I wanna challenge us today. In order to be able to run your race, you have to know your goal. What has God called you to? There's, a, there's, there's scriptures in the Bible and the NIV's got one subsection that says, make your call and election sure. And I wanna encourage you that if you know that today, run your race. Get on and run your race for the world's sake, for God's sake, for my sake, for your children's sake. Run your race. If you're here today and you go, I don't, I don't really know and I'm a little, I don't even know Jesus. I got good news. You're in a house today where people know Jesus and they would love to introduce you to him and it's gonna be the best thing you've ever done in your life. And if you don't know what your call is or your vision and you're kind of floating through and you're kind of going, well, I don't know what to do. I just love this verse. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. Jeremiah 33, three says this. Ask me, this is God. Ask me and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Amen. 
You know what an unsearchable thing is? It's not even possible on Google. You can't find that thing no matter how hard you try. That's an unsearchable thing. And God says, ask me and I'll tell you great and unsearchable things, things you do not know. Ask him, he's good. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. Lastly, this, when we know our why, when we know our vision and our calling, the why I exist, the why of my life, when I know that, it's really easy to choose my lane. It's really easy to know what to say yes to, what to say no to. It's really easy to throw off everything that hinders. It's really easy to put the right things on. And it actually is really easy because we see the cost to be able to get rid of the sin that entangles. We see the cost of it and we know we have a hope in Jesus that Romans tells us that will never disappoint us. Right at the end of his life, Paul says this to Timothy, his son in the faith. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And my challenge to us church today is will we be able to say the same for our children? I have fought the good fight of faith. I have run the race. I have finished. God bless you.